Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode, we're going to explore common relationship expectations. We'll talk a bit about where they come from and then how realistic each are. In the past few weeks, we've put out episodes about letting go of relationships that no longer serve you. And our most recent episode that came out last Sunday was episode 12, How I Reconnected with My Family After Taking Space, where Nicole and I shared both of our different and unique journeys reconnecting with our own families after months or years of disconnection. We shared what our personal processes were, what the experience is for us creating our own new families, and really honored and acknowledged the reality that every person's journey is going to be highly unique to them. So now that we've talked about letting go, taking that pause or taking space of what no longer serves us, or even just being able to identify it, and then talking about our own reconnection processes after that space, a lot of us are left with, well, what do I do now? Where do I go now in my relationship? Is this the relationship that serves me? Is this what I want? Do I have too many expectations? So we're listening to your feedback and continuing that conversation, which is what leads us here today to talk about the really many common and unrealistic relationship expectations that are so common, we don't even realize that we have them. So I think a great place for us to start this conversation is to talk about where relationship expectations come from. And really simply, they come from our earliest relationships. So for most of us, the relationships that we're talking about are those relationships we had in childhood with our parent figures, with our caregivers, with our siblings, with our peers. Now, these expectations, they come from what we're directly told. A lot of times we're told certain things about what makes a relationship healthy or positive, whatever the word might be used. Our expectations also come from how we experience the relationships we're in. So what happened in those earliest relationships? Which brings us to, I think, the first really, really, really common relationship expectation that many of us carry which is that this belief that other people should meet all, with emphasis on all, of our needs. So again, the expectation that I think, and I see this in myself, of course, as well, is this idea that we are reliant on other people to meet all of our needs. And the reason why I said this is really understandable, when we think about childhood, we actually are completely dependent on someone else to meet all of our needs. We are the one species, I think it is, that can't continue life. We can't survive as a human infant on our own. So in childhood, that's a very accurate expectation. If someone didn't meet our needs, we wouldn't survive. However, of course, as we age, as we develop, as we mature, the goal is for us to take over meeting those needs ourselves. Right. Unlike all other species, we have the power of our word, which is communication. And as Nicole's saying, as a child, we are dependent on our caregivers or those our parents or parent figures, both in a verbal and nonverbal way. So most of what we understand about relationships is what we got from our parents. Now, most of our parents didn't sit us down and have a really conscious conversation about healthy boundaries or expectations. Most of our parents also didn't have that access or tools available to them. Now, neither of this is good or bad. It's simply very powerful to witness the fact that the verbal and nonverbal communication that we had growing up from caregivers, parent figures, the media, this sort of fairy tale existence has very much conditioned our outlook. And while most of us didn't necessarily have these conscious conversations about relationship with others or with our parents, a lot of what we got from them about relationships was simply the silent observing and witnessing of their relationship itself. 
because so much in childhood happens non-verbally, a lot of us carry another expectation into our adult relationships, which is what I call this idea of mind reading or this belief that others should just know or be able to anticipate exactly what it is you need. And I'm referencing that this originates again in childhood because in childhood, most of us, again, were reliant on other people to attune to us or to become aware when we cried, when we showed distress. Those were all cues that there was some need that was going unmet. Ideally, we had a caregiver that arrived on the scene and then attempted to figure out what was wrong. So again, in childhood, there was, there was accuracy in that idea. There, our caregivers were mind readers in a sense. They showed up on the scene to meet our needs. However, as we evolve into adulthood, we can't keep holding other people responsible to meet our needs, especially those of us who aren't yet even aware of how to meet our own needs. So the way these two expectations hang together, right? if we're not even sure of how to meet our needs, if we are that person that's relying on someone else to meet all of our needs, we probably aren't really aware ourselves what we even need in that given moment. So this unrealistic expectation that someone else be able to anticipate something we don't know ourselves is really quite unrealistic. Right. And to have that expectation, which you can do, you can have the expectation that your partner could read your mind and it's going to cause problems. It's going to cause eruptions. It just doesn't work. And it does make perfect sense why you and your partner or partners have this need or this innate thought that, you know, well, you should know what I need, especially if you love me, especially if you love me and know me so well, how come you don't know that, you know, I need you to come hold me, even though I'm in a corner sulking and totally giving off the vibe that I don't want you near me. How dare you not come and hug me when I'm giving that off? Yet we still believe since this person knows us so well that they should come to us. They should tend to our own needs, which is going to lead to just issues. We're expecting something of someone else that we're also not giving ourselves. And a lot of what comes up here too is this mind reading or this assuming, assuming that someone else knows what it is that we need. And in that act of assumption, we're afraid. We're afraid to speak up. We're afraid to ask for what we want, or we're afraid to ask for clarification. So in comes this really big need for courage and self-courage to be able to speak what you need or to ask clarification to something that you're not understanding versus making a complete assumption about your partner or the dynamic and relating some expectation to them that they obviously can't fulfill on. I was smiling for those of you who are watching this video when Jenna was describing the person sulking in the corner. And I secretly think maybe she was describing me because um, here I am going to share with you so much of my own journey in this idea of mind reading that I myself still have. And for me, it happens when I'm upset. And when I'm upset, when I need extra love or I need extra support for whatever reason, I very much have this belief or this idea that people should just know, even if I do as I often do which is I detach. I either physically leave the room and I go and spend time by myself or I emotionally leave the room. I don't allow myself to be in presence to even receive the love and support that someone might be available to give to me. So what's important to understand is we might not actually be sending the cues as obvious. We might even be sending contradictory cues to those that know us the most. So for me, it looks like I always use this example, me holding my hand out and begging someone to come hug me. Obviously, my hand being outstretched, making it completely impossible 
for that person to do that. And to speak to your point, it is really scary to become aware of whatever it is that we might need and then to communicate that to someone else. There's a reason why many of us don't do it. It feels raw. It feels vulnerable. However, if we don't do it, And we keep holding the expectation that the person just know, especially when we're holding our hand out, we're going to continue to have our needs unmet. And what Nicole's describing makes so much sense because in those moments when, you know, if you're wanting love or attention, or we'll use ourselves as examples as Nicole just did. And I know why she was giggling because there, there are moments that that has happened. And there's moments where it's been flipped and I've done the same thing where what you actually want is physical closeness and love. And yet you're away in the corner, kind of giving off this face. That's like, don't come near my bubble. And the reason that we do that, it keeps us safe. There's a huge payoff there. When we kind of isolate ourselves from the other person, even though in our hearts, what we really want is for them to come to us, yet we give off the polar opposite vibe. So the other person then doesn't come and tend to our needs. We get to validate ourselves. We get to say, see, ego, you were right. They don't love you. They don't know what you need. They don't want to come near you. And you get to get off on this sort of self-righteous payoff where you're right. Now, why do we want to be right? Because that keeps us safe. Because that keeps your ego safe when it knows the outcome that's going to happen. So it's really an opportunity for you to be really raw with yourself in those moments and really honor and first understand what it is that you need in that moment and then be able to begin cultivating the courage to actually speak that to your partner or to your partners. You have every right to ask for what it is that you need. You also have to understand that your partner or partners have every right to say yes or no, just like they have every right to ask you for what they need. And you also have every right to say yes or to say no. The important thing here is to not argue with reality, to not get lost in these stories and reactions, and to actually be present in the moment with the other person dealing with the reality of what's right in front of you. So in continuing to speak about needs, another unrealistic expectation that a lot of us hold in our relationships is this idea that others should complete me. Or to put it simply, again, that others have this thing extra that I need, this additional piece, something that if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be a whole being on my own. And you said something when we introed this um, that I think is important to acknowledge. Yes, we're talking about how a lot of these expectations come from our relationships. A lot of them also come as we go out in circles of influence from the messages that we're getting, whether it's in our cultures, whether it's in our environments at large. The thing that comes to mind when I talk about this idea of others completing me right, is this whole Disneyfication of love and rom-com. And a lot of the messagings we're getting in that are around this idea that I am incomplete without this relationship. Now, to clarify, you'll often hear me say this. Humans are interpersonal creatures. We do need other humans. We benefit from relationships. The benefits are great. However, we don't need them to complete us. We are completely whole on our own. Those of us that are like myself, that have codependent conditioning, whose earliest relationships we were dependent on someone else, right? We did hear messages like, don't say, don't do this. Don't express this feeling. Don't be sad. Don't be mad. You'll make me feel whatever it is. All of these lead to this idea that we're not separate, that we're not whole on our own, that we need this other person either to meet our needs or to make us emotionally complete. And again, that just certainly isn't grounded in reality. 
that really common need or desire for another person to complete us or what we think often is such a beautiful saying, like, you know, you complete me. I love you so much. You complete me. You're disempowering yourself in a way because you already were whole, perfect, and complete meeting that other person. I know in my experience now in this relationship with both Lolly and Nicole, it works the way that it does because we are all three whole, complete individuals prior to meeting. It may have completed a family unit or it may have completed a new dynamic, but it didn't complete any of us individually. When we go into that desire for another to complete us or think that, you know, that's normal and that's what we should have, we're working ourselves down that path of assumption, of mind reading, of taking everything personally because we're not attuned. We're not attuned to ourselves because if you were attuned to yourself on a true core level, you would understand how complete and whole you are going into anything. So without that attunement, we go right back to those first stages in childhood where you were attuned to your caregiver. You expected and knew that your caregiver was likely going to show up for your needs before you could even speak. That was your attunement. As adults, you are responsible for now being your own caregiver. Your first responsibility is to be attuned to yourself, to realize that you complete yourself first and then can go onward to venture out into relationship. It's not the presence of conflict that is an issue. It's how conflict, of course, is handled. For me, a lot of us have, are what we call conflict avoidant, what, you know, fearful of conflict, running away from any sign that something could be off or there could be any issue in our relationship. A lot of it, again, goes back to how is conflict experienced in our earliest relationships? What was it like in our home? When there's a, was there a lot of conflict? Was it scary? Was there screaming? Was there yelling? Or was there silent treatments? Was there icing? Was there removal of love when there was anger or conflict? In my home, there was a little bit of both. When my mom would become angry, she would withdraw. She would ice me. I wouldn't be spoken to forever, whatever amount of time it was until she was over whatever was causing her upset. My dad, on the other hand, had a bit of a reactive temper. He would scream. He would yell when he was frustrated or angry. As a result, I did carry that belief that conflict is bad. And anytime I got to that point in my relationships, once the honeymoon wore off and conflict was present, I very much had that belief that it isn't something good. It means something is terribly wrong within the relationship. And again, it should be avoided. I really like reframing things in a way that seems like we can move forward. So you hear conflict, right? And it's like, oh, great. I don't really want to tune into that. No one loves conflict. However, conflict is such a great caveat and opportunity for communication. So if I hear the word conflict come up, and this specifically in even just like recent past couple days has been a really important thing for me to utilize. So if there is conflict there and I look at it as an opportunity for authentic communication and connection, I actually can grow closer and more intimate to my partners or the people around me that are involved in this conflict. For me as a child, conflict was, was pretty extreme. It was very loud. It was very angry. It was very physical and abusive. You know, there'd be glass shattering and people screaming. And then people would run and hide eventually because that was the safest thing to do. People being my, my siblings and I and my mom. So conflict to me is as soon as it happens, my immediate reaction is I want to just hop on a plane and go to the other side of the world. I can't even imagine ever being close to or intimate again with another person that I've had conflict with. 
and conflict for me mainly was that was just my household. It was one giant chaotic piece of conflict. So being in relationship now and experiencing conflict and then still living with those people and still being with those people is really confronting because for the first time I realized, okay, I'm in such a committed relationship that yes, I love. And when there's conflict there and I turn around an hour later or the next day and those people are still there. Oh, and then I'm, I'm going to go sleep in the same bed with them at night or or share the same space with them, my immediate reaction to that is absolutely not. That feels horrifying. So I've been reframing this as an opportunity for communication. And instead of running away while that seems safer, I've really been cultivating what is actual courage because it is scary. It's scary and very raw to not disconnect, to not run, and to stay in communication. I know little spits and spats that we've had over the past couple of days are opportunities in our relationship for us to realize, oh, this conflict is such a great place for communication and connection to happen. And it's been really cool personally to see that closeness and connection deepen when you choose to stop running away from it. So speaking of connections, another really, really common relationship expectation that I think a lot of us carry is this idea that connections or attractions to other people mean the relationship isn't working or, again, is something to be avoided. And I'm going to talk about the flip side of this one, but let's just sit here for a minute. Attractions, connections, I mean, they're as unique as individuals are as unique. We're all different people. We all bring different interests. We all bring different curiosities. We all bring different feelings into our relationship. So to have this idea that they, we have this one-size-fits-all model, I see this in language use a lot. You know, I'll hear people say, oh, friends do this or friends don't do that or right, romantic partners, my partner, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whoever does these, this is what I expect from this type of partner. I think anytime we put these sweeping generalizations over a full group of people, we really limit the individual uniqueness of each of those people. I know myself, I could have friends that are very different friendship relationships where there's different level of connections. There might even be different level of attractions to different people in my life. Now, of course, this isn't a conversation about how attraction and connections get expressed. That's for each party or in each individual in the relationship to determine what those boundaries are, right? So having connections, having attractions is quite normal. Again, we can have, though, boundaries or parameters in terms of physical. How much is it okay for me to be physically acting on my attraction or my connection or emotional boundaries? We can carve those out. But again, if we categorize people into this one big group, we really do limit the unique expression in each of us. And these are conversations for you to first have with yourself and then with your partner, you get to create your own boundaries. You get to create what relationship looks like for you. I know it is so common and understandably so that we grow up in this sort of fairy tale life where, you know, you meet your one other partner. Usually it's a male and a female. You get married, you have kids and you live this happily ever after life. And so commonly, you know, that person gets married. They're really young. They expect this fairy tale to be there. And it's kind of an eruption of for some people, you know, well, what now? Why isn't this going so swimmingly like it was on that Disney movie that I saw? Because those fairy tales are th are just that. They're fairy tales. However, you can create your own fairy tale, which looks like creating whatever style of relationship you want, whatever boundaries it is that you want. Now, this is a bit easier if you're on your own currently and 
creating boundaries for yourself, you can go into a new relationship and have those authentic conversations with someone and say, you know, this is what works for me. And that person then has the opportunity to go along the journey with you or to say, no, maybe this style isn't for me. Now, if you're already in relationship with another person, it's just as important to have those honest conversations. And it's also really understandable here where you've already been on a journey with someone, you've already made a commitment to someone. And maybe for some of us, it wasn't necessarily conscious. We weren't attuned with our own needs or what we truly wanted. We're sort of on this autopilot of life that just poof, ended us up in our mid thirties with our little white picket fence in our house, which is why we take that time to self-reflect, to not shame whatever it is that you are desiring for yourself and relationship, whatever those boundaries or attraction to people or people's looks like, None of that is shameful. All of that is okay. It does require courage and honesty to bring that in conversation to your partner and to also stay open and accepting to the fact that you may not love your partner's reaction. It may not be what you're wanting. And that's okay. While that may be difficult, what's most important is for you to be speaking your truth and creating the space for your partner to also do the same. That's how you will find partnership that is in alignment when you're actually speaking authentically from your heart to theirs. So another similar to this expectation, a flip side, very Disneylandish, like you were talking about, is this idea that if we don't have these extreme highs and lows, I think what a lot of us call passion, and if we don't have this very passionate, in the throes feel about our relationship, or if we lose it over time, as some relationships do, and maybe it begins to feel boring, or it doesn't have those extremes anymore. Again, a lot of us have this belief that it means something's wrong, that it's something to be avoided. Those extreme highs and lows come very much from how relationships are portrayed in the media. They also come from our earliest relationships, what we call here trauma bonds or relationships built around emotional addiction. Some of us only feel familiar, only feel comfortable within those relationships of highs and lows. And when, as it naturally does, when a relationship becomes more stable, when the honeymoon period is over, when things, when emotions aren't on that roller coaster anymore, we do that security, the absence of that does activate us in some way, it begins to feel unfamiliar. We again associate that with not having passion. And very unrealistically, we then believe that we need to find the other person that can hold this passion into the future. And again, relationships are about stability or about security or about having a home base to go back to. Of course, there's pleasure and there's passion and there's feelings. But again, it's not the roller coaster that I think a lot of us confuse because that's how our first relationships felt. And if that stability is there in a new relationship or the relationship you're in now, and that is foreign to you, it's very understandable why you might want to run kicking and screaming from that. For me, any type of stability or consistent love and really peacefulness freaked me out. It, for me, was something I didn't want want any part of, you know, I, I thought a higher self or a higher part of me thought, you know, I do, I want that fairy tale relationship where it's perfect. And you're, you know, making breakfast in bed and life is great, this whole fairy tale. And while I had this, you know, vision of, well, of course I want that. That's the right thing to want. What was actually so is that I was now finding myself in a new relationship where there is stability and calmness and consistent love. So what comes back kicking and screaming 
all of the chaos and conflict from the past, from my upbringing, from the relationship dynamics that I witnessed, sometimes consciously and sometimes subconsciously. If you're not paying attention and you're not witnessing yourself and your behaviors, you won't notice maybe till after the fact, until after there's a blow up or you've caused some self-sabotage or some argument and realize in reflecting later, which I've done many times, oh, okay, things were going too well and too swimmingly that I had to just, you know, tap in and self-sabotage a little bit, rumble things up and rough it up a little, upset everyone because that to me is what my heart and really what little Jenna knew as love, as stable relationship. So if that is you or that resonates with you too, don't make yourself wrong for that. It's actually an incredible opportunity for you to reflect on and see, oh, that's there. To be able to step out of yourself and witness yourself going through those motions and really understand where it is that they come from versus making yourself wrong for them. If they weren't meant to happen, they wouldn't have happened. So yes, Jenna, like you're very beautifully worded. The work begins when we first witness without judgment. Witness which of the relationship expectations or all are you currently carrying. Some of us might know or have awareness of where they come from. Doesn't matter at this point. Just simply be present now. Watch yourself in your relationships and see for yourself which one of these common relationship expectations you might be holding and coloring your experience of your present day relationships. That witnessing, that work that Nicole just described is the biggest action to take away. We've given you a lot of information and a lot of conversation here. And all of that information is really just an idea or a seed that's planted in your mind. The only way to nourish and grow that is by taking action. So taking action of being that witness, of having the courage to maybe ask questions or ask clarification versus assuming um, is really the seed that's going to establish a a foundation of new habits, new relationships, new pathways. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you all for joining us, whether you're listening or watching. We would love and appreciate if you would take the time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and or if you don't feel like leaving a review, just sharing the podcast, sharing the work, sharing anything that resonates with you. Um, We do put this podcast on completely ourselves. We choose not to have ads or take in any money so that we can really give you an uninterrupted experience that is continuous from week to week and this long healing journey and conversation. So thank you. We love you. Leave us a review or share our work if you feel called and we'll see you next week.